All right, all right, take your seats, everyone. This time we're continuing the 50,000 mile tune up with our transmission. Take your seats, everyone. Thanks. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast, a show where we share tools and strategies that we've found, or in many cases developed, for creating sustainable, positive change in our mindset, habits, and in our lives. I'm Monica Reinagle. And I'm Brock Armstrong. And this is part five of our 50,000-mile tune-up series, our system-by-system inspection and fine-tuning of our goals, attitudes, habits, and lifestyle so that we can really thrive in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. And today, we're taking a look at our transmission. That's right. And the transmission is that thing that puts your engine into gear and allows your vehicle to move forward or back up or power up hills or slow yourself down. That is without using your brakes, of course, and burning those out potentially. And what we're focusing on here is shifting your transmission into neutral because that takes the strain off of the engine entirely and it allows you to transition smoothly from one gear to another. And that's what we're going to focus on in this episode, that ability to shift our body and our brain into neutral. Specifically, we want to focus on practices that invoke the parasympathetic nervous system. And we're going to talk about why it's so important to cultivate these activities that do help us invoke that parasympathetic nervous system on a regular basis and make it part of our regular routine. Okay, so first, maybe just a tiny little physiology primer. The parasympathetic nervous system that Brock just mentioned works in opposition to, or maybe better said, in concert with Mm. the sympathetic nervous system. And that's the part of our nervous system that revs us up and helps us respond to challenges, or what we commonly refer to these days as stress. And then the parasympathetic response is what helps us calm down and restore our bodies and our brains. And I just want to point out that both of these are good and necessary parts of our nervous system. I feel like stress has really gotten a bad rap. And hand in hand with stress getting a bad rap, I think lately there seems to be a lot of focus on the stress hormone called cortisol. I think all of a sudden all of us just learned about (laughs) this hormone. You know, I kind of liken it to about 10 years ago when everyone got really fired up about the culinary villain gluten Mm. and all we really knew about it was that it was bad and we were supposed to avoid it. But, you know, like gluten is a thing that a lot of us do eat. And in fact, some of those veggie burgers that are all the rage these days are mostly gluten. So ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They they are supposed to be healthy. But 10 years ago, we were supposed to avoid it like the plague, kind of like cortisol. Like cortisol is what wakes us up in the morning. It gets us going. It keeps us sharp when we need to be. It literally keeps us alive. We need it. But too much of it can definitely be a problem as well, especially when it starts to interfere with other hormones like melatonin that helps us relax and sleep. So again, like you said, Monica, both are good and both are necessary. Now, you actually came up with this analogy, but I'm going to I'm going to steal it from you. Just like a bodybuilder who spent too much time doing just bicep curls and not enough time doing tricep workouts or dips or something like that, well, they may not be able to straighten their arms over time, maybe stuck in a flexed position. 
And actually, it makes me think of one of the injuries that uh, a lot of people know as runner's knee mm -hmm. is actually caused exactly by that, working the quad more than working your hamstring. So in the same way that our muscles can create some problems if they're out of balance, so can these responses. The truth is most of us these days spend way too much time in that hyperactivated state and not enough time in that restorative state. Mm -hmm. And I think our devices definitely play a role here. You know, that constant pinging of notifications and, you know, it just gets that arousal going in our brains. And of course, it doesn't help also that we've sort of dissolved the boundary between work and home life. We're sort of never off duty. Right. But all of this constant stimulation and activation can have negative effects on our bodies. It can literally age us. Mm -hmm. But even more to the point, when something extraordinary happens, we then have no capacity to rise to that occasion because we're already always at sort of maximum alert, at least from the standpoint of our nervous system. And, you know, Brock, I think many of us don't really stop to think about this sort of thing until we realize we've been way too stressed for way too long, until we're on the verge of burnout or breakdown mm -hmm. or after that's already happened. And what we want to suggest in this episode is that we take a more proactive approach to this. So building up our capacity to evoke this parasympathetic response, our, our ability to shift into neutral can not only buffer us from the effects of those daily, everyday challenges or stresses, but it can also make us a lot more resilient when those extraordinary stressors come up. Because believe me, that is not the time that you want to start learning how to shift into neutral. You need to already know how to do that. Back in the old days when I used to drive a bus full of musicians across the country, I remember several times we'd be on the verge of running out of gas. And if we were going down a hill, I'd put the put the bus into neutral and we <laughs> called it gravity bus to just let gravity keep us going so we could save on fuel, but keep moving forward so we could get to the next gas station before we ran out of gas. But like you were just saying, that's not the time to be thinking about that. We probably should have thought of that a lot sooner before we are on the verge of running out of gas in the same way that we want to start thinking about this before we burn out. So what we want to do in this episode is encourage you not to think of this as stress management per se. Instead of this being a type of medicine that's meant to cure us when we're sick, think of it more like a nutritious balanced diet that will help keep you healthy. Right. The goal isn't to somehow live an impossibly cushy life with no challenges whatsoever, because that actually sounds terribly boring and kind of annoying, but the goal is to keep it all in balance. Knowing how to shift into neutral, and more importantly, doing it regularly, can really help us be more successful in every single aspect of our lives. And that's why we thought it was worth dedicating an entire episode of our 50,000 mile tune-up to this. But even though it's super important, it still doesn't have to take a whole lot of time. Even five or 10 minutes can make a world of difference, provided that you're doing it regularly, like every day, at least once a day, so that your brain and your body become more practiced and more comfortable with that process of shifting into neutral. It's just like when you're learning to drive a stick shift. You get to the point where you're so smooth, right? You can just shift uh, without any shake, rattle, or roll. And that's what we're looking to do for our brains and for our bodies. 
does the human body have a clutch? (laughs) We must. Don't tell me my metaphor is going to fall apart here. (laughs) All right. Well, metaphors aside, the good news here is that there are tons, and I do mean tons of ways to do this and to practice this. So even if you're tired of meditating or you're bored with yoga and you did it in the past and you gave it up because it didn't feel quite right to you, we want to encourage you to keep looking for something that is a better fit. And also keep in mind that we aren't just looking for things like bubble baths or massages. They don't have to involve any new age gong based music or essential oils to get the results you want. You'll see there are some things that are actually pretty darn active that can really help with this as well. Okay, but nothing against bubble baths or essential oils or massages, but... Sure, I'm mocking it for fun, but (laughs) if that does it for you, that is awesome. I'm not here to yuck your yum. But if it doesn't, we've got some other ideas for you. And actually, Brock and I put together a list, just sort of brainstorming everything that we could think of or were familiar with or had tried, that specifically targets this parasympathetic nervous system activation. And we're going to share that with you now. We've also got it in a worksheet for you that you can download it so you don't have to scribble this down. And I just want to say this list is far from exhaustive. It's just intended to get you curious and to give you a few breadcrumbs that you can follow to find your bliss, if you will. (laughs) So the first is probably one of the most obvious ones, and that is yoga. But I just want to say that yoga is a very broad category of movement practice. So we are thinking of sort of specific sub practices of yoga. And in particular, if you're not familiar, look up or check out yoga nidra, yoga nidra, or yin yoga, or restorative yoga, you can Google those terms or look them up in your yoga app. Or if you belong to a yoga studio, you may see those on the schedule and never known what they were. Often yoga studios will call this particular style of yoga gentle yoga. But those are all types of yoga that are really focused on that relaxation response. So if you've never felt like it was worth the time, you didn't want to spend the time on a class where you weren't actually going to work up a sweat or get a good workout in, now's your chance to check out some of these other ones. And you can find them in little 15, 20 minute practices. Yeah, I remember the first time I tried a restorative yoga class, I was really surprised because I showed up all ready to do my stretches and stuff. And it really had more to do with just positioning bolsters mm-hmm. and then relaxing over those bolsters and just sort of letting gravity do most of the work and just relaxing yeah. into positions and stuff. It is truly restorative. I really did enjoy it, but it can take you by surprise if you're really looking for that deep, stretchy power kind of yoga. Exactly. Which actually leads me really nicely into some movement practices that can be really good for this. And I think one that flows really nicely from yoga is Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those practices. I'm sure people have seen it in movies, if not in real, the very methodical, slow, almost like you're moving underwater kind of movement. It's very beautiful to see groups practicing Tai Chi together, like a dance. Right. It is. Yeah, it's a beautiful movement practice and and it feels as good too as it as it looks to watch. And qigong is also our qigong is a another one that that is very similar and has that same sort of effect. So you're more active in some ways than let's say restorative yoga, but you're getting that same very soothing sort of movement for your your nervous system. 
And one thing that I've been really interested in, especially since I moved to the West Coast, is this idea of forest bathing. Now, you can do this anywhere. You don't have to actually go into a real forest. You can just any green space, like a little park at the end of your block will do just fine as long as there's some some trees and some grass and some other nature around you. They found some amazing effects on the nervous system, on blood pressure, on stress relief, on all of those things, just being in nature. You don't even have to really do anything. You just have to be there. In fact, one of the studies, they actually showed people pictures of nature and it had a similar effect. Hmm. Not quite as effective, but but similar. Yeah, I think forest bathing actually has its roots in Japan. Is that right? Shinrin-yoku, ah. I believe. <laughs> of course you knew that term. <laughs> Anybody out there who knows how to say it properly, please let me know if I'm saying it incorrectly. That's the way I've been saying it. I, I think that's the correct way to say it. But yes, yeah, that's forest bathing. And, and yeah, as far as I know, it was based in Japan first. And now we've caught on to it here. Now, the next one, you put this on the list, Brock, and it raised my eyebrows a little bit. Under other movement practices, you listed boxing. Are you talking like Rocky boxing? I am, but not where you're actually exchanging blows with someone else. Okay. (laughs) This is the boxing that you do with you and a punching bag or you and a speed bag Mm. or whatever it happens to be. Even shadow boxing or, or air boxing will do. I wrote a Get Fit Guy article about this a few years ago when I I went to do a workout at a place called Nine Round, where you literally go to nine different stations around the the room and basically beat the hell out of different shaped padded (laughs) blocks and poles and stuff. And they found that, at least anecdotally, people really find this to be relaxing oddly enough there it's like you're taking your frustrations out on those on those padded pillars and by the time you're finished not only do you have all the benefits of a reasonably hard workout so you're releasing all those endorphins and feel good hormones but you're also feeling a lot less um angry a little more um zen after beating the heck out of some stuff so there is some interesting stuff to be had just punching some stuff. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for that, Brock. It's fun. Give it a try. At the perhaps the other end of the spectrum, we have a whole suite of different practices that I've lumped together under meditation practices. And, you know, a lot of people have dabbled in meditation and been frustrated because they mm-hmm. couldn't quiet their mind or they couldn't get comfortable or anything. But there are a lot of different ways to approach meditation and I will say that those who push through that initial resistance or frustration are usually handsomely rewarded for their effort, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. There is sort of the classic seated meditation, um, and there, of course, the trick is finding a comfortable spot, finding a comfortable seat that you can sit in for a few minutes. But another very popular way of meditating is walking meditation. and That's my favorite. This, of course, is different than regular walking where you're exercising your body or maybe working out problems in your brain. This is usually a very slow, very deliberate pace. A lot of cities and communities have built labyrinths in public spaces that are specifically for this purpose, where you are out of traffic, you don't have to worry about anybody running into you, and you move very slowly around this pattern. And the idea is really to evoke this parasympathetic nervous system response, what we're talking about today. So if seated meditation isn't your thing, walking meditation is an option. There's also things like body scans where you lay down in a comfortable position and mentally scan your body. There's 
visualizations where you take yourself on a little trip, a little imaginary trip in your brain. And another thing that's really helpful for beginners are all different kinds of guided meditation. Usually these are audio guides that will guide you through any one of these. And sometimes it's helpful just to have someone there to sort of direct your focus and your attention and um, keep time for you, if nothing else. So guided meditation is a great way to experiment a little bit with some of these different techniques. I've been doing some really interesting guided meditations with my VR headset. Mm. I've got one of those Oculus headsets and I have an app that's called Trip. And it does guided meditations where you actually have all these visuals around you that are very soothing and, mm. and distracting as well. So you can get yourself out of your head a little bit. I particularly like when you're doing any sort of breathing meditation in this app there's this sparkly air flow i guess that it goes where your mouth is and like in and out of where your mouth oh, is so you can sort of visualize your breath sort of flowing away in these sparkles and then breathing the sparkles back in it's really really nice it's a, a whole new i guess 21st century version of meditation well that's actually a perfect segue into our next category of parasympathetic activation activities, and that is all different kinds of breath work. Mm -hmm. I first learned my version of breathing meditations back when I was uh, a student of cognitive behavior therapy, and I started off with just doing just any breathing, really just trying to extend the inhale and extend the exhale, really rudimentary kind of stuff. But then I started working with a group of Navy SEALs, and I learned the amazing technique of box breathing. Mm -hmm. And that has really been my go-to anytime I need to calm myself down and get focused. It used to take me longer. I'd have to do it for like five or six minutes. Now I swear I can do it in 30 seconds because my body recognizes that I'm doing this wonderful thing for itself. And box breathing is basically picking a count. I usually use heartbeats so I can put my hand on my chest and feel my own heartbeat. And you just choose, let's say, four beats to inhale to then to hold your breath to, then to exhale to, and then to just relax to. So you're doing basically creating a box, if you think of it as like four beats across, four beats down, four beats across, four beats up. You've created a box. I just want to draw attention to something really important that you said, which was when you first started this technique, you'd have to practice it for five or six minutes before you'd start to feel that activation. And now by regular repetition, your brain and your body can access that state in under a minute. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm holding out as the carrot here for those listening who may feel a little impatient with this. Um, that's the prize if you stick with it. Yeah. Sometimes I think just having the thought, Ooh, I should do some box breathing yeah. <laughs> actually creates a, a change in my nervous system mm -hmm. just by deciding I'm going to do it. Box breathing is wonderful during the day because it does give you that state of being relaxed, but focused. Now, there's another breathing pattern that's four, seven, eight, and that one is really good for winding down, like really getting yourself into a not necessarily alert state, but getting yourself into a very relaxed state. So this is just to inhale for a count of four, then hold for a count of seven, and then exhale for a count of eight. Right. And any breathing pattern where the exhalation is longer than the inhalation tends to evoke this parasympathetic nervous system. So just as a rule of thumb, when you can breathe out for longer than you're breathing in, you are going to be triggering that response. I think the the breath pattern that I've become most fond of is something that I learned in yoga. Yoga has a lot of breath work under the general heading of pranayama. 
And some of them are very active, very invigorating, very difficult. But this one is pretty easy. They call it alternate nostril breathing. And basically, you use your fingers to hold one nostril shut. You breathe in, then you switch. You breathe out through the other one, and then you breathe in through that same one, and then you switch again. It's a little hard to explain. It's easier to understand if you just do it. But I find this enormously soothing, and it turns out that this process of alternating the different sides of the breathing pattern from side to side does somehow regulate that portion of the brain that we're trying to access here. So that's my go-to. But you'll notice that in a lot of the things that we've talked about so far, meditation, yoga, the different movement practices, very frequently breathing is an integral part of this. Mm. And that's why. And often nostril breathing is one of the really key things too. Even doing box breath, breathe in through your nose and then out through your mouth Mm -hmm. is part of the part of the focus and and there are books like tons of books that have been written about how we are we've become a society of mouth breathers and that's not good for our nervous system or our immune system for that matter who knew so here's an interesting category of uh, modalities that can stimulate this part of the nervous system under i put it under the general category of sound therapy and i think one of the Mm -hmm. most ancient versions of this are what we know today as drum circles where people get together and set up these rhythmic patterns. They're beating on drums. They go on very, very long. And this rhythmic repetition can kind of move people into sort of a, I'll say trance state, but I'm going to use that word lightly. I don't literally mean a trance, but that sort of meditative state where the um, PNS is being activated. So if you have an opportunity uh, to participate in a drum circle in your town or your city and you've never done it before, it's pretty cool. You should go check it out. Mm -hmm. Usually you don't even have to bring a drum. They have enough drums to share. Um, They usually happen outside, uh, which is nice in these days of COVID awareness. But um, drum circles are a very cool way to activate the sympathetic nervous system. But then a much more modern version of this is something called binaural beats. Have you ever played around with this? I bet you have. I have. I, I love it. I have two different binaural, binaural beat apps on my phone, yeah. and I often use them if I'm getting ready to take a nap or I need to just really calm myself down. I've gotten myself a little too aroused. Yeah. Putting that on can really, it. it's one of those things that's almost like outsourcing. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about takes a lot of active focus from yourself, but <laughs> doing the binaural beats, you're really just supposed to let it happen to you. Mm-hmm. And it, I found it to be quite effective, especially for, for nap time. But <laughs> that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. But it did get me pretty relaxed. Well, and this is just crazy science. At least I found it kind of crazy. So in order to take advantage of this effect, you need to be listening to sounds on headphones yes. so that your right and your left ear are isolated from one another. And then the music or the soundtracks that are specifically produced for this effect, they send two slightly different frequencies at the same time to each ear. And what this, the brain then has to somehow reconcile that input. And so what it does is it interpolates a sort of rhythmic pulse that is equivalent to, get this, equivalent to the mathematical difference between those two frequencies. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just crazy. But depending on what that difference is, that frequency difference is, it will tend to produce certain brain waves based on that pulse. I mean, really, this sounds like science fiction. But it's for real. (laughs) And you can just dial it up on YouTube whenever you want. But you do need headphones. Yes. I tried listening to it just on my phone without headphones one time. And I was like, I don't understand what the big deal is. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I actually drove an entire room of people crazy by playing it over speakers. Oh. <laughs> it does not work. In fact, it has the opposite effect sometimes because the sounds really don't go together particularly well in unless you're doing it correctly. Right. So yeah, definitely wear headphones. Right. And uh, yeah, and there are specific frequencies that are definitely targeting that parasympathetic nervous system, the alpha, theta, and delta frequencies. I'll, I'll just leave it there. I'll let you Google further. But you know, there's also a lot of different modalities that involve chanting or rhythmic repetition, singing, humming. And again, some of that is that rhythmic repetition. But here's an interesting thing about that. Chanting or using your voice or humming or even um, gargling, believe it or not, mm all stimulate something called the vagus nerve. This is this huge nerve bundle that runs through the neck and the torso and into the gut. But when it's stimulated, it activates the PNS and singing and humming is a great way to activate it. So if that's your jam, then go to it. Now, here's another one. I'm bringing the a little more unexpected stuff along with boxing cold therapy or cold plunges or winter swimming like like I do yeah. has been shown to create a a relaxing effect later in the day not immediately of course when you're first plunging it is very invigorating but a lot of people say that the the thing that makes the biggest difference for them is that if they force themselves to do this especially first thing in the day everything else for the rest of the day is a lot easier. It's like that whole idea of doing something really hard to start your day off so everything else seems easier. But there's a lot more science around it too, just the doing a cold plunge or taking a cold shower, at least turning it down to cold for that last 30 or 60 seconds. Or even doing things, I had a vest for a while that I could put ice packs into mm -hmm. and I'd wear that for a while during the day. Apparently that works too, or just putting some ice on the back of your neck right. can really help. Yeah. I, you know, this was another one that raised my eyebrows because I can't imagine anything more stressful than jumping into 50 degree water or 40 degree water, whatever it is that you swim in out there in the, in the wintertime. Six degrees Celsius is what I've been going in. Yeah. So I wanted to understand a little bit more about how that worked. And, you know, of course it is stressful on your body to plunge into icy water and it does initially elicit a stress response, you know, like a big release of adrenaline. And then of course, maybe by, you know, it's like uh, pounding your, your thumb with a hammer. It feels so good when it's, when you stop, maybe <laughs> <laughs> by contrast, the rest of the day feels more relaxing. But I was very interested to see that because of where the vagus nerve runs, that cold plunges and like the ice pack on the neck, it stimulates that nerve. And that does then also trigger the parasympathetic response. And especially when you do it regularly, the body actually develops what they call vagal tone, which is the ability to switch that response on and off more easily. So there is, I hate to admit this, but there is a method to your madness, Brock. There is. One of the people that I go winter swimming with on a regular basis works at a funeral home, and she says she's a lot more compassionate to the people that come into the funeral home after she's gone for a, a winter dip. So, But of course, if that's not anything that sounds appealing to you, like we said, we've given you a very, very long list to choose from. Right. So. I would never make somebody do no. that. There are so many other options to choose from. And there are other methods too, of course, the ones that are maybe a little bit harder to do on your own. You may need some special equipment or some other people, but things like massage, of course, getting a, a good 
therapeutic massage, not those really intense ones that sometimes I go for where you are actually trying to correct a problem. Instead, you're there to, to relax can be, can be really great. And there are types of neurofeedback. I attended a five-day thing called 40 Years of Zen a few years ago where they actually attached an EKG to my head and measured my brain waves as we did different meditation and forgiveness and gratitude practices. And it was very uh, complicated and fancy and cool. But yeah, it'd be hard to do on your own, but it also had a, a lasting effect on me. Yeah, I mean, that's a very direct method of learning how to access the the parasympathetic nervous system when you have that feedback. But yeah, hard, a little harder to do on a daily basis at home. Yeah, and there are biofeedback things as well along the same lines mm-hmm. where you're measuring things like your blood pressure and your, your heart rate and HRV and, and things like that while you're doing some of these practices. So you're getting that feedback to see which things are working best, which things are actually maybe amping you up. I was surprised to find out that some of my breathing practices actually made my HRV score lower instead of higher. HRV stands for heart rate variability. Right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's, <laughs> and But there are even some really rudimentary biofeedback. Like when I was talking about the, the box breathing and I keep my hands on my chest and feel my, mm-hmm. my heart rate, as I'm getting more and re- more relaxed, my breaths are getting longer because I'm using that biofeedback of letting my heart rate dictate how quick my my breathing is. Mm-hmm. And I guess, and one of the final things that's harder to do on your own is I put on this list cognitive behavior therapy or really any effective talk therapy. Yeah, that surprised me too, Brock, because I think of especially cognitive behavior therapy as really accessing the intellectual parts of the brain to solve problems, to put things in perspective, to formulate maybe more effective responses. And that seems like it's a completely different part of the brain than what we're talking about here. And it is absolutely when you're practicing it, and especially when you're first practicing it. But the outcome of being someone who is more in touch with their the link between their cognition and their behavior, or the, the link between the outside sources of stress and emotion and how they react to it does just lend itself to being one of those people who can switch between those two states like we were talking Mm. about at the very beginning just a lot more seamlessly and a lot more intuitively as well right so it's really the end result of the the therapy rather than the therapy itself i suppose i see it's like a tune-up for your transmission right yeah so at the end of the day what you're looking for from this list of options is something that leaves you feeling relaxed and restored and calm, but awake. We're not necessarily looking for things to put us asleep. We're just looking to access that calm, awake state that many of us don't spend a whole lot of time in. And of course, you also want to look for something that you can fit into your daily routine. So not something that requires space or equipment or something else that you don't have access to. We want you to be able to do this regularly although those other things could still be things that you enjoy occasionally so just to finalize our wrapping up before we get into the takeaways and the lab experiment there's probably some people out there who are thinking okay this all sounds great but how am i going to remember to do this i have so many other things on on my plate and one of the things that i always talk to the people that that we coach or even in my own life is when we find ourselves going to social media maybe for the umpteenth time in that day Instead of scrolling through social media, instead of going and, and doom scrolling, as we're calling it these days, 
put the phone down and do one of these practices. Because like we said right from the beginning, it doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It, it shouldn't be that long or that hard to find a chunk of time to do this in it. Just five or 10 minutes is absolutely fine. Even less is totally worth it. So when you feel that urge to pick up your phone or a device and check social media, put it down instead and do some box breathing. And a final thing, I know I've got a couple of final things here, is make sure that you make it your own, like really own it. A good example of this is I recently interviewed my friend Abel James, and he brought up the fact that his father never meditated a day in his life and probably would have laughed if you suggested that he had, but he did take 15 minutes every day for his quiet time. Mm. And everybody in the family knew to leave leave him alone, leave dad alone for those 15 minutes because he's having his quiet time. And he'd go and sit and read a book or stare out the window or something. And you know what? That is exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about. So if meditation doesn't resonate with you, maybe you just need some quiet time. Yeah. You'll know it when you find it for sure. So here's some takeaways from our discussion today. Number one, the stress response is not a bad thing. It is what allows us to respond to challenges, both the good kind of challenges and the quote unquote bad kind. Number two, invoking your parasympathetic nervous system can help keep your body and your brain in balance. And that helps make us more resilient to stress. Number three, this whole thing works best if we do it proactively instead of waiting until we're in crisis. Yes. And number four, there are lots of different ways to access and activate and exercise your parasympathetic nervous system. So keep looking until you find one that works for you. Or two or three. <laughs> and to that end, we have a little lab experiment for you. All right. Step one, play the field. So over the coming weeks, set aside some time to research and try out a bunch of different things in this category. And of course, the internet and YouTube in particular is an amazing resource for finding any of the stuff that we talked about or anything else that you come across. There are tons of great free meditation, breathing and yoga apps in the Apple App Store or the Android App Store. And you know what? You might even want to try several versions of the same thing to make sure that you find the one that works best for you. And step two is to pick your favorite or your favorites and then schedule a time at least once a day and start incorporating this as a regular practice. You know, let me just add here that when we think about making time to this, to do this, a lot of us think about that first thing in the morning and it can really change the way your day goes to spend a little time in this state first thing in the morning. But I've actually found that an even more impactful time to practice this is at the end of the workday as we transition into our evening. This is when the frustrations and the challenges of the day have started to build up. And without taking a beat to kind of restore and recover, we're very likely to kind of crash into our evenings and make a bunch of decisions that we don't love the next morning. So I just want to put in a, a vote here for scheduling this time at the end of the day or at the beginning of your evening as a great way to kind of reset. Or, I mean, why be stingy? How about both? 
<laughs> exactly. Well, and I'm going to put a vote in for mid-afternoon because I find I actually can extend the productivity of my day by doing something around 2 or 2.30, mm-hmm. something like this. So definitely try different times because obviously, like just between Monica and I, we have our favorite times that are different as well. So, okay. And then step three is to notice how you feel both in that moment, but also as you go through the rest of the day or the evening or whatever, whenever you've chosen to do this, really pay attention to how you feel, not only while you're doing it, but how it affects the rest of your day. Yeah, I think in some ways that's the most important step of all. And the one that we sometimes forget to take is to actually notice the effects of the efforts that we're making. Because when we can make a link between that effort or that activity and the positive benefits, it becomes so much more of a positively reinforcing cycle. So don't forget that step. And if you're not picking up on it, we mean this for exercise. We mean this for nutrition. (laughs) We mean this for parasympathetic nervous system stimulation, everything. Make sure you're paying attention to not only what's happening during it, but what happens for the rest of the day. When you can connect those dots between the healthy habits or the not healthy habits and their results, then all of a sudden you find yourself with a new well of motivation. Absolutely. So make sure you go over to changeacademypodcast.com slash transmission to download the worksheet for this episode and get that list of things that we went through. And feel free, of course, to add your own to the list. And send us an email if you like. But go to changeacademypodcast.com slash transmission to find everything. Okay, and we will be back next time with our episode on the brakes. We're putting on the brakes. Talk to you then. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Monica Reinagle and Brock Armstrong.